Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. It's great to be here on campus again after four months of travel and learning. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Lucy Unziger, and I'm a sophomore here at EMU. And what I have in common with all these people up here is that, as most of you know, we spent the semester in Guatemala. Just four short months ago, we said goodbye to EMU virtually through this opening spring convocation. And time sure flies because here we are again. The only difference is, now, well, there's actually a lot of differences. Our Spanish abilities have improved, our cultural understanding has been challenged, our worldview has been expanded, and we've got a heck of a lot of stories to tell. We want to be able to share this experience with you all as accurately as possible, but the truth is, it's kind of hard to sum up almost four months in about 30 minutes. We invite you to listen and laugh with us and laugh at us as we try to share bits and pieces of a trip that has become such a huge part of our EMU experience, but more importantly, a huge part of our lives. As Phil cleverly calculated, we spent about 1 60th of our lives in Guatemala. <laughs> that would be a pretty small piece of pie, but it's pie nonetheless. The three main thematic focuses built into our 15-week Guatemala cross-cultural were culture, religion, and history. We kept an analytical journal to record our observations and process everything we saw, felt, and lived through. The Guatemalan culture is one worthy of admiration. We observed the extreme gratitude, the importance of family ties, the work hard, rest hard attitude, and the indigenous presence, as well as language. Guatemala recognizes 24 different languages, and we heard much more than Spanish, including Maya Kekchi and Maya Tsutuhil. We even learned a song from a group of Kekchi women, which you'll get to hear shortly. As we put our ever-improving Spanish skills to the test daily, we learned so much from the host culture and how to respect something that seemed quite foreign at times. The second thematic focus, religion, was evident everywhere. The commitment of many Guatemalans. Now that was faith. Our families, the staff at Semilla, strangers, and other folks all peppered their language with thanks to God and but first God and their actions spoke even louder. We witnessed so many examples of solid, unwavering faith. I was struck by the constant give it, to God, give it to God mindset and was challenged in my own faith. We also studied the institutions of church, the differing roles and identities within Catholicism and Protestantism, and witnessed both explicit and subtle examples of Christianity in Guatemala. The third thematic focus was the history of Guatemala being quite possibly the most painful of the three. We wrestled with really hard questions. What does justice look like in the context of post-armed conflict? How do we as visitors, students, US Americans, and Christ followers respond to tragic events like this after hearing about them? And now that we know about past atrocities, how do we respond? How can we engage in meaningful conversations with Guatemalans? And after thinking about the historical past of Guatemala, what could a future full of healing look like? Although we couldn't quite tackle each and every detail of Guatemala's culture, religion, and history, among these themes, we had week-long focuses of immigration, women's history and roles, Maya identity, etc. We also studied machismo, collectivism versus individualism, economic disparities, neo-Pentecostalism, colonization, and gangs, to name a few. But what did we actually do? We spent the tail end of January and all of February and March taking Spanish language classes at Semilla 
an Anabaptist seminary and Spanish school in the capital. After Spanish classes in the morning, we often had excursions to museums, memorials, or monuments. Other afternoons, we had speakers come in and share about the weekly theme. A huge focus of this trip was direct engagement, and we did just that too. In February, we moved in with host families and learned how to navigate city transportation to and from Samia. Weekends not spent with host families were spent traveling all over, and the trips usually pertain to the themes mentioned earlier. Sometimes we felt like gringo tourists. Sometimes we felt right at home. But most of the time, we felt an in-between sort of way as students living and learning, trying to take it all in. And now that we've returned to our home country, I've been thinking a lot about what it means to be home. And now, I know that I have a new home, a hop, skip, and a jump away in the outskirts of Guatemala City, where the dogs bark loudly, the volcanoes smoke ominously, and the tortillas stack high at each and every meal. My host family has made it very clear to me that I am always welcome at their house, having invited me over one final time after already saying goodbye. Although our host family showed us instantaneous hospitality, there's no denying that it was truly a difficult process. Learning to live with another family and their own traditions, own language, own meals, and inside jokes definitely had its challenges. Here are a few personal stories. As someone who went on this cross-culture with like just barely any Spanish abilities at all, um, the language barrier was quite difficult, especially right in the beginning. Um, moving in with my host family on the first day, um, they decided to take me and Maria out to eat, you know, just like break the ice, chillax. Um, so we went out to eat, that's cool. I like food, it's a great conversation starter. Um, there's live entertainment at the restaurant, that's cool. It was interesting, it was very entertaining, had, like, um, had some things to talk about then. But then out of nowhere getting pushed on the stage for a dance competition in a language you don't know, um, not as cool, definitely not the best. Um, um, as I was on stage having not a single clue what was being said to me by the man that was way too loud in the microphone, um, I did end up winning the dance competition. <laughs> No one, they were telling me I won the dance competition. I didn't know that they were telling me I had won. It was very interesting, but that was definitely an amazing way to break those barriers down and start my time with my family. For anyone, a host family transition can be a pretty stressful time because you've made a commitment to a family that you don't know at all, that doesn't speak your native language, and that um, you just have really made a commitment that you don't know is going to work out yet. Uh, and for me, that induced a lot of anxiety. Um, but I was lucky enough to have a really welcoming host family. My host mom was one of our Spanish teachers, Albertina, and she was really patient as I tried to communicate effectively. Um, and I also had two host brothers, Andres, who was 11, and Santiago, who was 7 years old. And Andres was really eager to learn English, so we were really ready to help each other out in our learning processes, and we uh, exchanged our favorite songs in English and Spanish and just sang them over dinner. Um, and Santiago was just happy to have someone to play with who wasn't tired of him yet. Um, so we played a lot of hallway soccer before dinner, and then after dinner on the first night, he really was excited to show me how to act out some scenes from his favorite movie, Kung Fu Panda 3. 
So at a time that could have been really stressful, it actually ended up being a very joyous and welcoming uh, and relaxed occasion. And I was really happy to have that experience in my first little bit of time at Guatemala. The countless number of meals shared together as a group or just individually gave us all lots of opportunity to show gratitude to those preparing and serving our food, and even to others who helped us clean our plates when we just couldn't manage it ourselves. In this next skit, we'll be showing what a typical meal looked like, all passing around our plates and working together to make sure that everyone's food preferences and needs were met. Speaking of which, it looks like we're ready for our next meal now. What song do you guys want to sing? Let's sing Although the food was fantastic, it didn't always sit well. I think that I can speak for everyone in saying that Pepto-Bismol tablets were a must-have from day to day. <laughs> and thanks to our wonderful leader, Laura, we were taken care of. Next is a little skit to elaborate on some other health troubles we had. Yo, so Laura, I've been like having a hard time on the pot the last couple of days. You think it can help me out? Um, well, make sure you drink a lot of water and eat some more fruit and here's some Dulcolax. Sweet, thanks. <laughs> hey Laura, so I'm pretty sure from looking online that I might just have a little infection. Oh, okay. Well, let me take you to the hospital. Let's head over there. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right. Hey, Laura. So I hit my head really hard yesterday, and I just have this headache I cannot get rid of. Ooh, okay, let's do a concussion screening, and then you need to go rest, and take some, you can take some Tylenol. All right, thank you. Mm -hmm. Laura, I have also had a headache the last, like, four out of the five days. Are you drinking enough water? Maybe I should do that. Yeah. 
Hey, Laura, I kind of banged my knee pretty hard playing volleyball. What should I do about that? Um, well, let me take a look here. Oh, yeah, we need to clean that up and, um, yeah, put a Band-Aid on, and then you need to take it easy. Got it. Thank you. Hey, Laura, so I threw up last night, and then this morning I threw up my Pepto-Bismol. What should I do? <laughs> well, let me get you some Coke. Oh, All right. Great. Thanks. Laura, I have the worst stomach ache right now. Oh, I'm so sorry, Maria. Have you taken Pepto-Bismol yet? Haven't done that. Let me get on that. Okay. Hey, Laura, I remember when we went to the hospital and I got the antibiotics. Yeah, they didn't work, so, uh... Oh, okay. Well, why don't you go back to the hospital? You can go on your own this time. Okay. Yeah, I can do that for sure. Hey, Laura, so I was kind of too competitive in beach volleyball and kind of broke my toe. Like, it's happened before, but it kind of hurts. Well, okay, we can tape it, and yeah, we'll just tape it. Don't okay. tell Ted. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Laura, I feel pretty nauseous. Can you help? Oh, um, here's some Pepto-Bismol. Remember, you can take it up to four times a day. Good call. Thank yeah. you. Uh, Laura, so uh, Ethan and Kara and I were just like running, and I like, kind of twisted my ankle, and it's like pretty swollen. What, what can I do for well, that Well, we're going to use the good old rice technique, rest, ice, compression, elevation. Thank you, Laura. All right. Hey, Laura, I haven't been able to eat for like three days. What should I do? Well, you need to keep drinking clear liquids, and that Pepto-Bismol, remember, you can take it four times a day. <laughs> Got it. Thanks. Hey, Laura, my leg is just kind of swollen from these bug bites. What, what you got for me? Oh, um, well, cortisone, cortisone. Uh, thanks. Yep. Hey, Laura. So, uh, you know that when I was on free travel far, far away from you, I didn't quite exactly tell you. I had an allergic reaction to the last antibiotic. Full body red splotches for a couple days. What did you do? Uh, oh, I was smart. I went to the clinic, got a shot in my butt, and we're good. Great! Great job! Thank you! Awesome! <laughs> so, do you remember those, like, incredible pupusas that we ate? Yeah, I had some, too. Yeah, my body didn't think they were so incredible. Is oh, there, like, oh, well, something to do? Pepto-Bismol. Got it. So, Laura, I got a cactus needle in my arm. Oh, my gosh, Emma. Okay. Uh, why don't you ask Kara to take it out for okay. you? <laughs> hey, Laura, um, I got this really bad runny nose, and I'm feeling pretty achy. Uh, Ethan, okay, we got to go over here. Let's do that COVID test. Along with sicknesses, we've experienced some of our favorite moments in Guatemala when life felt as if it was too good to be true. Of course, we also had moments of pure physical and mental exhaustion. Here's a few of our most memorable good and bad days. You know, it's going to be a tough day in Guatemala when you go to take a shower, turn the water on, and a cockroach comes crawling out of your drain. When what's normally a 25-minute to school turns into two hours because of protests, making you incredibly late for your Spanish class. When you are so proud of your Spanish abilities that when you need to communicate with a school bus driver about what stop you're supposed to get off at, 
You think you understand all of it, you end up on the wrong bus an hour away from where you're supposed to be. And then you get on a bus that's heading an hour outside the city and you realize when you're already on the bus. And then you're walking home from school and you have to pull Emma out of traffic before she gets hit by an ambulance. And then your bus gets really close to your stop and just drives on by. And then U.S. Customs takes your Subway sandwich. And then you move into an indigenous host family where everyone's speaking a language you don't understand, you have no idea what's going on. And then you can't tell them anything important and you don't know what they're saying. And then your house gets struck by lightning. And then your host mom's parrot pecks you on the cheek. And then after a long day of working in the woods, you get home and realize you have a terrible case of poison sumac. Then you get to your host family and they ask you what you want for dinner and you say nature. <laughs> and then you wake up in the middle of the night with a bad case of diarrhea. And then you finally make it to your 5 a.m. flight just to forget your password on the plane. You know it's going to be a good day in Guatemala when you wake up and look at Volcan Fuego. And when you've already had four cups of coffee by 10 a.m. And when you realize they're serving cake for mid-morning snack. When you spent three days trying to help your students with their homework, but you don't understand Spanish so that you have them do it wrong over and over and over again. But it's the first day you didn't get it incorrect. <laughs> and then you help those students understand their English homework. And then you see seven dogs in one day. And then you're able to have a conversation in Spanish and understand what's going on. And then you get to see another beautiful landscape in Guatemala. And then you get to hike Volcan Catanango. And then you go spelunking in the caves of Samuk Champe. And then at the, end of the, at the end of a long day of work, you get to see all the hard work you put in on the board. And then when you get home from school, your host mom teaches you to make her favorite recipe. And then you get pizza delivered to your hobbit house. And then before bed, your host brother gives you a big hug goodnight. And upon getting ready for bed, you realize you went the entire day and you finally didn't put the toilet paper in the toilet bowl. Throughout the beginning parts of our presentation here, we've seen a lighter and brighter side of our time in Guatemala. Uh, but now we're going to turn to a slightly tougher subject. A profound theme of our study has been the armed conflict that took place from 1960 to 1996. This was a conflict between the Guatemalan government and guerrilla forces. This conflict is sometimes phrased as a civil war, and I intentionally avoided using that word here. That would imply that this was in some way a, a close fight. Atrocities were committed on both sides, but the UN Truth Commission found that 93% of the human rights violations that were committed were committed by the Guatemalan government. That was the same government that was funded heavily by the United States government. An initial coup was orchestrated by the CIA in 1954 that went to overthrow the democratically elected president and led to military tribunals and military leaders that were, went on to lead until and through the end of the Civil War. To give some kind of perspective on the resources the U.S. government gave to the Guatemalan government and military during this time, for just the, the Reagan administration from 1981 to 1989, 
there was $13.56 million of military aid, $61 million of military equipment, including helicopters, tanks, etc., as well as training given to the Guatemalan government and military. One U.S. Green Beret is quoted as saying that the U.S. trained the Guatemalan forces with, quote, anything our army has, end quote, including how to destroy towns, and the CIA led secret trainings on the finer points of assassinations. I've quoted these numbers to really emphasize the difference in the resources on both sides and to hammer home the point that this was not a war, it was a genocide. The same US, UN Truth Commission that I mentioned earlier found that 83% of the casualties were indigenous Maya. I want to leave you on a happier note than that, however. My note of hope is a sad story to be sure, but one that shows that hope is not lost. This comes in the form of Monsignor Juan Jose Girardi. He was an archbishop in the Catholic Church in the Guatemala during the armed conflict. He worked tirelessly against the oppression that he saw. He worked with a commission to create a report entitled Guatemala, Never Again. This report synthesized thousands of testimonies gathered from communities devastated by armed massacres, aerial bombardment, kidnappings, rapes, torture, secret detentions, and public executions. On April 24, 1998, almost two years after the official end of the conflict, he presented the first phase of his findings in the National Cathedral. What followed was a massive outpouring of grief and support from the Guatemalan people. On April 26, 1998, just two short days later, he was brutally murdered in front of his residence. This murder was later linked to military leaders in power at the time. His legacy continues to shine as his project called The Recovery of Historical Memory, with an acronym of REMI, continues its work to bring to light and bring to justice the atrocities that were committed in the armed conflict. We had the blessing to be able to visit the former home and office of Monsignor Girardi and the current headquarters of Remy. It is incredibly inspiring to see the efforts that continue and the passion of the people that work there. Another important learning opportunity we had, not just one time, but in various ways during our four-month trip, was that of migration from the side of those leaving. Here in the United States, immigration dominates headlines and political discussions with a focus on things like how immigra immigrants hurt or help our economy, whether migrants are dangerous, and much more. During our time in Guatemala, we got to see a whole different perspective on this issue. Fairly early on, we had the opportunity to hear from Sarah Weingarten, a Mennonite Central Committee worker living in Guatemala, who had done her master's research on migration patterns and specifically focused on both push and pull, or retain and repel factors. Not long into her presentation, she implored us to see the relatability of immigration on our own story by showing us the UN's International Organization for Migration definition of a migrant. Simply, someone who travels within or outside their country of residence temporarily or permanently for a variety of reasons. Our group, sitting there in a classroom in Guatemala, were all migrants. Clearly, we were migrating under much better conditions than most, but we were migrants nonetheless. This realization allowed me to see migration in a new light and understand the beauty in human movement. Sir also outlined a recent study on push and pull factors, which found that although economic situation the economic situation of an individual is often thought to be the leading factor of migration. It is rather the level of community engagement that an individual feels which is a driving factor. 
Really, the individuals in the most dire economic situations have no way to migrate because they do not have the resources. This made more sense after talking with my Spanish teacher about her experience of family members who had decided to migrate. While crying, my teacher told me about her cousin who had left several months ago for the U.S. and who they still had not heard from. Even, though he was in this, even if he was in the States, he probably had to live with nothing to his name for a while before finding a job. This is because a good coyote, someone who is hired to lead a group of migrants across the border, can cost at least 10,000 quetzals. With a large portion of the population earning only 20 quetzals a day, anyone wanting to travel with a coyote must sell nearly all their belongings and often pool money from extended family members in order to meet the cost. During our last three weeks before coming home, a few of us stationed at the Community Cloud Forest Conservation Center got to hike up the mountain to a small Kekchi village of Sitesh to see the state of their natural springs that provide water for the town. Water levels have been decreasing in recent years due to lots of factors. As we walked, I wondered what these people would do when the springs no longer flow. Whole family systems are contained in these villages, and no one would have the resources to migrate to the U.S. even if they wanted to. Still, I have faith in the creativity of the Guatemalan people in the face of con conflict like this. Time and time again throughout our stay in Guatemala, we were welcomed with warmth, patience, and generosity, even though we were migrants in a new land. I think I can speak for all of us to say that as we come back to our own home communities, the communities where we feel most comfortable, we hope to receive migrants with the same kindness shown to us during our journey. Now you'll hear from Maria and Maddie about the host family experience and the difficulty of leaving each family at the end of our stay. <clears throat> so our very last day, this past Friday actually, um, when everyone was beginning to come back from community engagement, I got treated like it was my birthday again um, by my host mom. Initially she woke up a lot earlier than normal, um, at like five, to make me a bigger breakfast than normal before I had to get on the bus at six in the morning. Um, she also insisted that she do my laundry while I was at school, even though I already had planned to have plenty of clothes for the rest of the trip, um, but I couldn't, just couldn't say no. Um, and then um, when I got home from my community engagement, she had already made this lunch that she knew I would enjoy and um, then like afterwards, she made sure to uh, offer me a, one of her choco bananos or helados, one of her delicious refreshing um, treats as a dessert. And then she even invited a friend over to have one last afternoon snack and coffee hour before having to say goodbye. She is a single widowed mom and has welcomed so many students into her home and loved and, care and, loved and cared for us as if we were her own children. She was so ready to help and care um, in any way she could at any moment, even when there was a language barrier. And saying goodbye to her and her daughter was unimaginably harder than I would have expected, especially after only being with them for three weeks. Here is a journal entry I wrote on Tuesday, April 26. Today, I felt like I ran into a brick wall. The realization of leaving has finally set in, and I am having a lot of mixed emotions. We only have two days left in San Juan and three days in the city. This was something that was really hard to process. I still haven't fully processed it and probably won't for a while. 
I was brought to tears about the fact that I am leaving this beautiful place of San Juan and that I will be leaving my family. Although I have only been with this family for three weeks, they honestly mean so much to me. They are different than my last host family and I have really enjoyed the time I have spent with them. I have especially enjoyed getting to know the boys. This family has just been so loving and has taken me in like I am their daughter. They actually call me their daughter because they have four sons and have always wanted a daughter. I have met both sides of the family and I have traveled to different places with them for many adventures. In these past three weeks, I have done more with them than I ever did with my other family. This has been a great thing, but it also makes it so hard to say goodbye. It especially is going to be hard to say goodbye to the youngest son. He is four years old and he just loves me so much. Every time he sees me, he just gets this huge smile on his face and runs to give me the biggest hug ever. He is always so excited to tell me about his day and what happened at school or what happened while playing with the doctor's son. Tonight, I gave all the kids presents as goodbyes and they were all so excited. All of them ended up giving me hugs and thanking me many times. I spent a while playing with them and many laughs were shared. It's really going to be hard to leave in two days. April 27th. Today I woke up to a text from my host dad with a picture of the four-year-old Irving and how he had slept with his new dinosaurs the night before. My heart is so full but yet so broken at the same time because I have to leave them. Later on the same day, Tonight, we had a big family dinner of pizza and everyone sat around the table. This is the first time this has happened since the day I moved in. Before we ate dinner, my host mom went into the other room with the little one and came back with two bags. They had bought Monica, a nurse from Canada, and I goodbye presents. And they all gave us great big hugs. I was able to hold it together until one of the twins, Jose Israel, ended up crying. At this point, I ended up crying too, and it's not even the day I'm leaving. On top of my brother and my mom crying, my mom said that they were walking, and Irving said, Maddie would really like that bag, and that's why they bought it for me. I can't even believe how cute that is, and it just melted my heart. It is absolutely crazy how fast you can create a bond with a family. I know that I will forever cherish all of my memories with them, and I know I will love them forever. Uh, we'd like to invite Eleanor and Laura onto the stage, please. During our trip, uh, Laura, do you want to, or what do you mean? Okay. During our trip, <laughs> Laura wore many hats from a nurse, as you saw, um, teacher, friend, uh, companion, leader. Um, and she looks really good in all those hats, let me tell you. Um, but Laura was uh, always there to support us. It wasn't always uh, easy for her either. Um, there's still, she's still experiencing all the same uh, difficulties and, and transitions that we were, but she was always um, something that we could really, really lean on. Um, we're extremely grateful for her. She was uh, a wonderful leader. Um, we love you very much. And also, fortunately, she decided to bring her daughter Eleanor, and Eleanor agreed to come. We are really, really grateful to have Eleanor. She was a wonderful, um, joyful experience in our trip. She really um, brought a lot of joy to us and, and to our group. We are very thankful for you both.
We'd also really like to thank you all for coming. Uh, it really means a lot to us that you all took your time out of your day, um, especially during finals week, to come visit us and uh, listen to our, our stories. Um, I know it's really difficult to summarize our experiences and, and what we've been through, but um, maybe just a few of these testimonies um, spoke to you or, or um, meant something to you. Our ex we had an extremely wonderful um, time, and a lot of times when we would go to uh, speakers or visit places, we would just kind of come, and they would serve us food and talk to us, and we wouldn't really do anything, um, but at the end, they would sit there and spend several minutes um, just telling us how grateful they were for us and how much they appreciate us in a really uh, genuine and somewhat wordy way, um, and it's really hard to do and translate into English. Um, but we really, really are extremely thankful for each and every one of you and for um, the, this opportunity to share uh, this time with you. And um, we look forward to uh, your all, all of your own cross-cultural experiences. Um, thanks a lot. Best of luck in the rest of finals. Like, we're going to have a little um, two-minute video here sharing some of our, um, our days, one second uh, from each day while we were in Guatemala, made by Maya Smith. <laughs> 